It's the Big Baseball Podcast with Kyle and Drew Charters. The Big Ten season gets underway this weekend, at least for eight teams in the conference, and we're set to preview what should be a great race for a league title. I'm Kyle Charters on the Big Baseball Podcast, joined this week by Patrick Ebert, Midwest analyst at D1Baseball.com and the publisher of the site, TheGrindBaseball.com. Filling in for Drew, who is off on a family vacation. I'm not sure who approved that exactly. I think I'm the boss. Am I the boss on this? I think I'm the boss on this podcast. I don't remember uh, okaying that. Patrick hasn't even said a word yet here on the show, but the podcast already, Patrick, a billion times better than it usually is. Uh, Smarter, funnier, better looking, right? You said you've had a cold. It already sounds better. Uh, Welcome to the show, Patrick. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I've been listening to you guys for a while. Really love the podcast love the focus on the big 10 uh as you know i cover the midwest for for d1baseball.com i just think there's uh, something special about baseball around here as you and i know like the teams the players all of us even those that cover it have to fight a little harder for for the time and the attention that we get so thanks a lot yeah i appreciate it i appreciate your knowledge here uh, on the podcast as well and i think it's a good opportunity uh for us to sort of break down as we get started uh in the uh, conference uh, season this week, at least for some teams, to sort of see where we think we rank the teams. And I have a feeling that somewhere on our list, Maryland will be, and we'll talk to the Terps coach, Rob Vaughn, on the podcast today. So let's go ahead and, and start off. We'll both give, like, one by one our top six teams as we stand right now. And I'll go ahead and go first, Patrick. I, I, I think it is Maryland. Uh, the Terps sweeping Siena over the weekend, outscoring the visitors, 40-11. to 11. And, you know, it, it goes beyond, obviously, a weekend sweep against an overmatched team. But this is a, a Maryland team that, in my opinion, is so well-balanced. I mean, you have a weekend rotation that, outside of Nick Dean missing the one start with a little bit of a, a forearm tightness, um, you know, it has been intact uh, with Jason Savakul and Ryan Ramsey. And then an offense, look, if you can... If you can bat, and I'll ask Rob Vaughn about this, if you can bat Maxwell Costas, a guy with his resume, uh, you know, former All-American, uh, all of that in the six hole for much of the season, then I think that your offense has a little bit of depth, and, and it clearly does. So I've got the Terps as my number one team in the Big Ten as we enter the Big Ten season. Who do you put at number one? Yeah, you can't. it's hard not to go with the Terps here. I mean, what they've done... Um, I mean, the starting pitching is not only the best in the Big Ten, it's one of the best in the nation. And what's really impressive about it is, statistically speaking, their starters get better as the weekend goes on. And, and that's not just actually statistically, it's also stuff-wise. Yeah. From a prospect standpoint, you know, Jason Savakul, their Sunday starter, is the best prospect of the three pitchers that they have in their, in their starting rotation. Um, he's a sophomore, so he's not draft eligible until 2023. Uh, but, you know, Ryan Ramsey on Saturday and, you know, Nick Dean on, on Friday. Um, I mean, it's just a pretty pretty incredible trio. Favacool actually has gone at least seven innings in all five of his starts this year. And, you know, and they do a really good job with pitch counts there. His pitch counts have been right around 100 in each of those games. So it's not like they're putting on this heavy burden on him to try to get through those innings. Um, and I think just the pitching alone, you know, you mentioned some of the bats, but the pitching alone is what makes him so special, at least through, you know, the first several weeks of the season. Yeah, Savakul, every week, he is a nominee for big arm, it feels like for us, and he will be again this week. I mean, his, his numbers, his strikeout rate are always pretty impressive, and they were in his start against Siena uh, this weekend as well. All right, let's, let's snake this a little bit, so we'll go with number two, and who do you put as the number two team in the Big Ten? Yeah, right now I have Rutgers at number two, and I think it's just it's pretty impressive the start they've gotten off to. Um, they've played some good teams, you know, not great. I think similar to a lot of these teams we're going to talk about. Uh, you know, the jury's still out on them. They need to play some better opponents more consistently so we get a look at what they're able to do. But, I mean, they're batting three over 300, like 319 as an offense. They have a staff ERA of 3.23, and, I mean, that alone speaks for the success that they've had. Their starting lineup one through nine is, you know, arguably the best in the Big Ten. And, 
their catcher, a transfer by the name name of uh, Nick Samello, has been having just mm-hmm. a, a huge season. If I think if you were going to name a Big Ten Player of the Year at this point, I think it would be hard not to name him um, and give him those honors. But he's not the only one in that lineup. The, 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 the pitching staff, they have a couple of uh, transfers there, too, a couple grad transfers, and Jared Collar and Nathan Florence and Brian Fitzpatrick's been going on Fridays for him and having success, and they have the best closer in the Big Ten in Dale Stanovich. So from top to bottom, that's a really, really good team, at least to this point. Obviously, like I just said before, we need to see them play some Big Ten opponents to see how that shakes out. I didn't like how their, you know, how their weekend series finished against Omaha, losing that, you know, two yeah. games to one. Um, but not a big deal. You know, Omaha is still a good team. They were on the road. Um, so we'll take all those things into consideration. But, yeah, Rutgers right now is number two team in the Big Ten for me. Yeah, I like a lot of the things that uh, you talk about with the Scarlet Knights. I'm going to put Michigan as as my number two team, the Wolverines sitting at 11 and 8. It would have been really nice, Patrick, had they beaten Vanderbilt in that midweek game last week, really had a chance to get the victory in that one and what would have been a, a signature non-conference victory, not only for Michigan, but in a lot of ways uh, for the Big Ten as well. But the Wolverines fall in that game. They sweep Dayton over the weekend. Now, I love the offense for Eric Bakich's group. I, I do have some questions about that pitching staff and the pitching depth a little bit and, you know, what that means in, in a weekend series. You know, does Michigan have enough, uh, at least, you know, at least starting pitching? We just haven't seen the consistency there than, than what we're used to with a Michigan group. But it's hard for me to get away from you know, the tradition and what Michigan has been under backage and, and get away from them as the number two. I just think that is a is a good outfit, especially offensively. You know, it probably rivals Maryland for the depth. Even a guy like Riley Bertrand, right, who, who you know, has sort of been just a, a singles-type hitter, is off to a good start offensively. I mean, he has given Michigan a little bit of, of a pop there at the bottom of the order, which has been uh, surprising to see for the middle infielder. So I, I, I like Michigan there at number two. I'll, I'll put Rutgers at number three, and that's a it's a close, you know, two, three, I think, for me. The impressive part, along with everything you said about the Scarlet Knights, is that they have played virtually every game on the road. Uh, like, not even neutral site games. They have played a, 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 a slate of, I think, uh, like 17 of the 18 have been road games, or, or maybe all of them. So the number is a very high number. I mean, they went out to Hawaii and played true road games. At Omaha, you mentioned this weekend, that was a series that was supposed to be at Sac State, which would have been a nice uh, sort of measuring stick, I think, for Rutgers to play uh, out there. It was sort of a, a, a halfway stop back on your way back from spring break. They end up doing that at Omaha because Sac State's conference schedule changed. And Omaha ends up taking a two of three, so maybe a a little bit of a downer. Now they lost those games, the two games, one to nothing, I think, and three to two in twelve. So it's not as if uh, they just they just got busted. But um, you know, Rutgers too has a chance to get off to a good start in the Big Ten. I think at Penn State and then home to Minnesota. So perhaps an opportunity for the Scarlet Knights to get off to a good start in the Big Ten and sort of mark themselves as one of the teams to beat in conference play. All right, let's go back to you. I've, I've given my number three. Who is your number three team in the league? Yeah, it's Michigan for me, so you beat me to that one. Um, you know, it's hard to argue with, with Michigan. You know, I, you, you, you covered the team aspect so well. Like, the pitching is the one area that I have concern. That was such a strength for that program the last two years. Their ace, Cam Weston, missed his start uh, this past weekend. Um, but then Connor O'Halloran, you know, stepped up and had, like, 13 strikeouts in eight innings on, on Friday against Dayton. So, so he seemed to step up, but they're still trying to figure out that weekend staff. What's really interesting to me, and you brought up their schedule on losing to Vanderbilt. They've now lost to Vanderbilt, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, East Carolina, Indiana State, and Louisville, like some really good teams. But it shows that they're playing really good teams. And they, you know, they kick off the Big Ten this week at Nebraska, and then they, they play Iowa. They have Cal State Fullerton. They don't play, I think, Northwestern, Penn State, and Minnesota, who you could argue would be the three – bottom feeders of, of the Big Ten Conference. Um, so they have a really tough schedule. So if they come out of this season, you know, with, with a winning record, you know, they could have a really strong profile, um, strong resume, you know, when you're looking at the NCAA tournament. 
They just need to get more wins now because that's the one thing that they're lacking. They are 11 and eight, um, but they're lacking those signature wins. Yeah. They have like a midweek contest, I think, against Notre Dame coming up, and they have a few others. They've scheduled very aggressively out of conference, and I think some of those out of conference games—that's what's going to have to make a difference for them to, you know, turn some heads in a, in a national perspective. All right, uh, you are up with number four. This is where, and maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't. This is where I think things get a little uh, more murky. I think in the Big Ten, I, you know, we sort of, I think, both agree on those top three. Obviously, put them in slightly different order. But it does feel like those are the top three, and then maybe there's a little bit of a line here to whoever's next. So who do you have next at number four? Yeah, and this was tough. Four was tough for me because I I could go two different directions. I'm not going to spoil who the other team was I was looking (laughs) at, but I'm going to go Iowa here at at four just because I really like this Iowa team coming into the year. I had Iowa as my preseason fourth-best team um, and as a team that, that does make the NCAA tournament. Uh, they got some work to do if they're if they're going to accomplish that, um, and they've had some kind of up and down uh, performance. You know, they've they've played some solid teams. You know, they hosted Texas Tech this past weekend, and they split against the Red Raiders, which is which is really good for them. Those are the types of series they need to do well. You know, they they lost the first game of that series due to bad weather, um, but their first baseman Peyton Williams is having a huge season so far. Second year player Keaton mm-hmm. Anthony has really broken out. Uh, staff ace transfer uh, Adam Mazur is having an incredible year. You can point to a lot of different individual pieces and 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 realize why they're having the success they they're having, and also point to that as reasons why they could have more. Because right now, it just it seems like they're missing something. Like they're missing some type of synergy or something. They're not they're not playing as a team. I don't know what it is. I haven't seen them play live and in person. But they're just missing something because they're better than their ten and eight record may suggest. And I think I think they're going to get better once they get into Big Ten conference play. I think they're going to help uh, uh, separate themselves, you know, from some of the other teams in the Big Ten once they get to that get to that point. And you know, this is a team that hasn't been to the NCAA postseason since I think 2017. I think this is the year they break it. I think Rick Heller has something special there in Iowa City. Yeah, they would have. Uh, they had a really good team, I thought, in in 2020 in the the COVID uh, shortened yep. year. Um, I, I thought if you looked at Iowa's schedule that year in the Big Ten, uh, and I told Rick Keller this when I had him on the podcast before uh, everything went to hell, uh, that I thought uh, I was like, you don't have to comment, but I think you're going to win the Big Ten. Just looking at their their <laughs> schedule that season. Uh, and he appreciated that, but I don't know if he had a whole lot to say. But then I, I literally think, I, I believe he was on the podcast uh, three days before, you know, the, the world ended. Uh, yeah. And, and, of yeah. course, we had no idea what was coming, but, uh, but unfortunately. I'm going to go, you know, maybe I'm a little biased here. I, I, I don't know. Uh, I'm going to go with Purdue at number four. And, I, you know, that might be high. I, I do admit that. I, I don't think Purdue can go higher than four. Uh, that would be a surprise to me. The Boilermakers are 17-1. and one. Now, we know that that uh, schedule has come uh, with an asterisk because Purdue has not played top-flight uh, competition yet this season. So you have to uh, sort of judge that with that in mind. But the Boilermakers took two of three against Illinois State, and Purdue has been able to win um, by getting guys on base, running a lot, getting timely hitting, and then having a pitching staff that, although young, has been able to get guys out and does seem to have some depth of arms. And I thought that the series, you know, had Purdue lost the series against Illinois State or obviously been swept by the Redbirds, then I'm putting the Boilermakers lower. But that is a a legitimate program. Now, it it is a legitimate program that Steve Holm has that does have some, some injuries and illness and played that series uh, with those two things, especially in their pitching staff, I think their Friday and Saturday guys did not did not pitch in the weekend. So uh, the Boilermakers caught a break a little bit there, but an impressive, I think, um, series for Purdue to be seventeen and one. They've uh, canceled their their game or at least postponed it against Northern Illinois in the middle of the week this week because of rain. So they'll next play against Ohio State at home on Friday as the Boilermakers open up the season. So so is Purdue high at four? Uh, possibly so. 
uh, because there are just yet to be answered questions about the Boilermakers. You know, can they hold up? Can they win two out of three against, like, an Ohio State this weekend? I'm very curious to see whether uh, the Boilermakers can do that. And the back half of their Big Ten season gets a little more dicey, and that's when we're really going to, you know, find out whether Purdue can, in fact, finish in the top four, top six of the Big Ten. Uh, I'll go with, uh, I'm up to five, right? So I'll go with Iowa at number five. I I like the Hawkeyes. I I always have liked the Hawkeyes. I I think that, you know, Adam Mazur being your number one, even though he he didn't pitch all that well uh, this weekend, though against a a good Red Raiders team, obviously, um, you know, gives them a guy that you can put out there on, on Fridays in the Big Ten, and you've got a really good opportunity to get a game one victory and give yourself a chance every week to get a, a series win. And then those two guys in the middle of the order, uh, I, I think are, you know, as good as any other two guys in the big 10. I agree with you that it, it does feel like Iowa should be winning more games. Um, you know, you just look at the Hawkeyes and, and feel like maybe they should start to pick up some wins here. Part of that would probably schedule. Maybe there's something else there that we're just not aware of, but it, it does feel like uh, the Hawkeyes should start to pick up a few more wins. Uh, let's go with you at uh, at number five. Yeah, five I got Purdue, and you know I think you make some really good points. I don't think you're being a homer at all putting them at four. I think you could realistically, you know, argue them, you know, possibly being as high as two, but being legitimately one of the teams considered for the third best in the Big Ten. Uh, if for nothing else, the record alone. I mean, seventeen and a one. You can you can break down who they've played and who or who they haven't played. This, that, and the other thing. But that's still really impressive record, no matter how you you, you chop it up. And uh, I mean, that that one two at the top of the, the lineup. You you know you get to see them every game. And you know Cam Thompson batting three or cleanup, and and you know Evan Albrecht, your number nine hitter, is actually the guy coming up with the biggest hits for you. All that aside, I mean, you have arguably the second best starting weekend staff in the Big Ten, you know, behind Maryland. Uh, Jackson Smeltz, Wyatt Wendell, and Troy Wansing, what those three guys have done uh, to set the tone on weekends has been incredibly impressive. They lead the Big Ten in ERA. Um, you know, they have a young, another freshman by the name of Cal Steven, who they've put a lot of trust in the back end of their bullpen. Mm-hmm. They have four or five other guys that they can turn to with a lot of confidence. That The lineup is deep. You know, they, they have some guys that – a lot of transfers, a lot of newcomers, and I think that's where a lot of people like you and I even discussing this will pause a little bit because we don't know how that's right. going to transfer once they hit Big Ten play. You know, a lot of guys from, from junior colleges and, and other schools across, across the country, so far so good, but how they, that production translates, you know, when, when the, yeah, I guess when the stuff gets real here is <laughs> really going to matter the most, so yeah. All right, uh, I'm going to make you pick your number six first, and this one is is an interesting one to me to see which direction you go. So, who is number six for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, it's fairly. It was a fairly easy call for Michigan State, and this is a team that, to be perfectly honest, I did not expect much out of Michigan State coming into the season. Um, Burke Granger and I, Burke Granger, who I think you've had on your show before, he mm-hmm. and I handled the Midwest for D1 baseball. Um, and he actually wrote up Michigan State in the fall. I, I actually argued for Michigan State to finish last in the Big Ten, and I'm just saying <laughs> that with full, trans, full transparency here that I did not think they were going to be good. And they've so far they've proven me wrong. I got to see them in person up in Minneapolis a couple weekends ago, and they put on a hit parade. They were hitting the ball. Every, so, every single guy in their lineup was coming up to the, to the plate and getting a base hit, it seemed, and and then their weekend rotation of Mick Powers, Zach Iverson, and Ryan Suspaniak was was really good, and they have a good closer too. And it just it completely changed my opinion of them. I think they're going to be you know solidly in the middle of the pack of the Big Ten this season, maybe even a little better depending on how that bullpen depth shakes out for them. Uh, Mitch Jeb, who's a shortstop and leadoff hitter, is having a, a really good year. He's transformed his body like he's much bigger and stronger now, where he's not just this slap and dash type of player. He actually can drive the ball. Um, he has three home runs, has a couple triples, and speed is, is still the, the main aspect of his game, but he's a special player. I like Michigan State. I like the job that they're doing up there in, in East Lansing, and, uh, and, I, and I think this, this weekend's series against Illinois will truly be you know, the determining factor in who's the sixth-best team 
in the Big Ten this year. So uh, we'll get to see it right in front of our faces this weekend. Yeah, I'm taking the Spartans to at number six. I would like to go in a different direction just to change things up. At least, uh, you know, we've agreed on our six. And we got them in a little bit of a different order. But I like the Spartans. I, I think the Jake Boss Jr.'s team has been bitten a little bit by injury over the last couple of years. And I, I think that that has caused, and, and I'm as guilty as, as anyone, us to overlook Michigan State uh, just a little bit here and, and maybe not see this coming and they do have a lot of guys that have been around now for a couple of years who've been nicked up, who've gotten back out there. And I, I, I do think that that gives uh, the Spartans a little bit of depth. I, I like Nick Powers as a, as a starter. I mean, it seems like every week you know what you're going to get there. You're going to get six-plus innings where he's given up a couple of runs and he's given Michigan State an opportunity uh, to get a victory. And, and really that's what you're asking for out of that number one guy, and, and he's given that uh, to the Spartans. So we've left out, uh, like, Nebraska and Indiana, who are two of the teams that we all thought would be competing at the top of the Big Ten, and they're under five hundred. They have both struggled in different ways. Indiana's hitting the heck out of the ball, but it just can't throw strikes, not at a high enough consistency rate to, to get teams out. I mean, it's winning games like, like it beats Xavier like 20 to 11. You know, I mean, just like football scores out there. Um, and, and Nebraska just has sort of been all over the place. What do you think quickly about uh, about those two teams? Yeah, you know, coming into the year, Indiana's main concern, they lost so much from last year's club. They lost their entire weekend uh, staff and several key hitters, too. And and that was last year a team that underperformed. I mean, they we had much higher expectations for what Indiana would do. Those things combined, I, I thought it could be kind of a, a trying season for Indiana. I think they did a great job bringing some players into the transfer portal and, and filling some of those key roles. They have a couple you know, young freshmen that are producing. Um, and this, this will be key moving forward to them. I don't, I don't know if this is a year that we can realistically expect them to really push for an NCAA tournament bid, unless they, you know, unless they surprise people and end up winning the Big Ten tournament, but how they play at the end of the year is going to play a big difference moving forward. Now, as far as Nebraska goes, I mean that that's a team like last year. I, I think I think people still don't give them the credit they deserve for the type of season they had a year ago. Obviously, the Big Ten played in their own little bubble and that did not help them at all from a national perspective. They were essentially ranked the 32nd team. In the postseason, you know, they got sent to go play number one, like yeah. Arkansas, in a regional. You know, that, that, was, that was an unfair uh, placement for, for the tournament. But they still, they played hard. You know, they looked like they more than belonged, you know, in the post, not just the postseason, but they looked like a team that really should have hosted uh, a regional site. Um, and I thought because of that coming into the year, I thought it would be a much different team. Obviously, they still have a lot of time to figure things out. But so far, it's not looking – especially promising that the pitching staff's a mess. You know, they're certainly not hitting the ball as we expect a Nebraska baseball team to hit. So, uh, yeah, they got some things they got to figure it out between now and the end of the year. Yeah, luckily for them, there's still a long way uh, to go, and, and we'll see if the Cornhuskers, maybe the Hoosiers too, can, uh, can, can get into that top six. All right, uh, let's hit our big bat and big arm nominees and our award winners. I had to do this. We, Drew and I usually split the duties here on this. It takes us, like, combined three or four hours to do all this. I mean, it's like the shortest segment we do on this podcast. I actually like to make it shorter, uh, <laughs> but it's, the research is crazy. So let's, uh, let me hit a couple of the nominees here for, for big bat. Cam Thompson had uh, a big weekend for the Boilermakers. Six runs, five runs driven in, had a couple of homers. Uh, for Purdue. For Michigan, Riley Bertram, who I mentioned earlier, hits down in the order. He had seven hits, uh, six runs, three RBI, a double. Ted Burton had a good weekend with eight runs driven in with a couple of homers. One game, really, is when uh, Burton did all of his damage against Dayton. He was four for six with four runs, eight runs driven in. He had the double and the two homers. All of that. Jack Kelly had another uh, good weekend. Man, you can nominate pretty much everyone in Maryland's lineup, Sean Lane played just one game, but in that one game, he was two for three with five runs driven in and a home run. Uh, Chris Aline, who's been great, five hits, produces six RBI. Two of the hits uh, were homers. Uh, Nick uh, LaRusso uh, had nine hits, six runs, 
three RBI, a home run, Kevin Keister. I mean, five RBI, three doubles, a home run. You just list all those guys off. Tony uh, Schreffler had nine hits, nine runs, nine RBI, two doubles, a couple of home runs. Illinois, Brandon uh, Comia at eight runs, scored four RBI, hit a home run, two doubles. Cam McDonald had eight runs driven in on seven hits. Look, the whole Indiana squad, I, I listed literally when I was doing this, I listed the entire lineup for Indiana because I, you just started adding these guys up, and, and everybody had huge weekends. Matt Ellis hit three home runs, drove in nine. Uh, Josh Pine drove in nine on eight hits with a home run and two doubles. Uh, Carter Matheson had nine runs driven in with three homers. Philip Glasser uh, had seven runs scored. Tyler Dones scored eight runs on a couple of doubles and drove home two. Uh, so, uh, yeah, uh, just a ton of offense. I'm going to go with the guy from Maryland and Schreffler, who was 9 of 17, nine runs, uh, nine runs driven in, and a couple of home runs and two doubles. So he is the big bat for this week. Uh, as for arms, uh, Wyatt Wendell went six-plus innings for the Boilermakers, gave up just a run. He struck out 10 and a win against Illinois State on Sunday. Um, let's see, uh, for Ohio State, Nate, uh, Habither, am I saying that right? Do you know, uh, eight innings. I should have looked that up before the podcast, six hits, uh, a couple of runs. One was earned. He struck out four. That was in a loss though, uh, for Ohio State. Nick Powers, as I mentioned, had a good game, six and a third, no runs. Uh, Jared Kolar went seven and a third innings, no runs, 10 straight Strikeouts, he got a no decision against Omaha. Brian Fitzpatrick went five innings, scoreless, and a win over Omaha. Jack Crowder went six innings for Illinois, gave up a run. Um, Let's see. Ty Langenberg went five innings for Iowa and a no decision against Texas Tech. He struck out ten. Jack Perkins for Indiana, one of the few Indiana pitchers who played well, six innings, a couple of runs. Ryan Ramsey. Six innings for Maryland, 11 strikeouts. Jason Savico struck out 14 over over seven. He gave up just a hit. Uh, he walked three. That's a win over Siena. And you mentioned, and this is the guy I'm going to give it to, uh, Connor O'Halloran for Michigan. He struck out 13 in eight innings, allowed a run on three hits to help uh, Michigan get that win over Dayton in the opener. So he will be the big arm for this week. All right. Uh, I always budget 15 minutes for this first segment. We've gone 27. So let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, we'll talk to uh, Maryland coach Rob Vaughn. Uh, we'll do that. And then Patrick and I will be back for the weekend rotation. You're listening to the Big Baseball Podcast, a production of 1017 The Hammer. Excited to welcome in Rob Vaughn, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins. Man, his uh, dirty turps off to just an outstanding start this season, 16-3 and after sweeping Siena this weekend. Hey, Coach, always appreciate your time. Uh, you know, last year we talked about the slow start, right, and how you guys had to recover uh, from getting off to that slow start, and you made a charge at the end of last season how much of a point of emphasis, and I would imagine that it was a it was a big one, was uh, was getting off to a good start this year? Yeah, man, I, I I think it's everything. You know, we we really dug ourselves out of a hole last year, but I think any coach, you know, would rather not have to do that. You know, um, obviously we felt I was really proud of our guys. You know, they showed a ton of heart, ton of leadership last year to pull out of that. But that was really the offseason, everything we talked about, we knew the first three weeks of our schedule were going to be a bear, you know, going to Baylor, going to Campbell, going to the, you know, the Keith LeClaire Classic down at, down at East Carolina. We knew those first three weeks, man, were, were going to be rough. And so everything we talked about as a group was of really playing faceless opponents, you know, not worrying about who we're playing. It doesn't matter whether we win or lose. It's about us trying to be the best version of who we could be as a unit. And I know that sounds very coach speak cliche but that was kind of our whole mantra like we can be the best version of who we can be then man we can live with whatever happens and fortunately for us you know we we did that we we played a pretty good version of baseball for you know the first couple weekends and ended up in a pretty good spot to start and it's just been a really mature group you know getting a guy like Chris Aileen back for us is is massive and 
I think any coach will tell you that the big key to winning and being consistent is starting pitching. You know, and we've been very fortunate to have three guys kind of leading the charge in the weekend of Dean Ramsey and Savakul that have pretty much been outstanding every time they touch the baseball. And I think, you know, anytime you get a good start, you give yourself a chance to win. So really proud of the start, but the other side is, man, we, we were five and nine last year and ended up going on a run and being good just because we're 16 and three today doesn't mean anything's guaranteed for June. So just kind of having a little bit different mindset, but just trying to stay on being the best version of who we can be and believing that the rest will play out the way it needs to. Yeah. You mentioned that you have a, a veteran mature team. It is not very often, and this goes not even for baseball, but just across all college sports these days that you can look down a lineup or a roster or a starting lineup or whatever and say, yeah, they, these guys have been around for one, two, three, maybe sure. four years. But with your team, especially the lineup and, you know, to some extent that rotation as well, you can look at that roster and feel like you've had some guys who have been through this before and have been around and, you know, know what your expectations are now uh, for the program. And in some ways, you know, you've grown up as a coach with those guys as well. How much, how much does that familiarity help you out? It's just huge. You know, we talk about being player-led all the time, you know, versus coaches running the thing, but really being a player-led program. And, you know, we didn't expect to get Chris Aileen back this year. You know, we thought that the draft was in his future, and, and he had a chance, man. He had a chance to sign a pro contract this summer. And, you know, with his injury in the regional last year that kind of ended uh, his what we thought was his college career, you know, um, was huge. Just getting him back, he's tough. He's been through the ringer. He knows what we talk about. He's as competitive as kid as I've ever coached. And so getting him back is huge, you know, and I think that's exactly what it is, you know, and, you know, with the transfer stuff going on the way it is, we were very fortunate to land a guy like Nick LaRusso from Villanova, who Nicky has hit his entire career. He actually grew up playing with our catcher, Luke Schliger, and our, our left fielder, Bobby Smarslack. They played on the same team growing up. So he has really stepped in, and even though he's new to the program, it's just such a veteran presence in the middle of our order, you know, and I think that's been a huge thing for us. And, you know, the, the, the good thing, I guess you can look at it in some ways and some what scary thing is, you know, we, we've kind of got off to this start and, and our best player kind of unanimously, right. that's not even close. has kind of struggled, you know, and Matt Shaw, like he's had a kind of a tough start and there's, there's no doubt that I was literally talking to my parents the other day. I said, that guy's, the best player I've ever coached like that this struggle ain't going to last too long and it's going to be a lot of fun whenever he gets it rolling too but you're exactly right some of those veteran players a guy like Troy Schreffler really maturing and having a heck of a start to the year um and then the same thing on the mound you know you have two juniors that have pitched a lot you got uh, you know a sophomore in Jason Savickel who's basically a veteran because of what he's done in his career here thus far and then in the bullpen you know some guys like Sean Hine who's a senior one of our captains he's been here that's really off to the best start of his career and just very comfortable in who he is very comfortable in big spots and has been invaluable so man I think experience is something that you can't teach in this game and we're we're very fortunate to have it kind of on both sides of the baseball yeah you mentioned you know that whole lineup is hitting well Matt Shaw might be the one guy who has you know yet to get started but you know his average is down a little bit but he's still being productive I looked at his stats from last weekend, I think, a weekend ago. Mm-hmm. I think it was something like 2 of 14, but he still drove home six runs. So sure. it's it's not as if uh, it's been a total vacancy by him here to start this season. It's just not quite you know, to what your expectation level has been for a very good player. No question. And that's that's Maddie's thing. Maddie is as mature of a kid as I've ever coached. And so I think when you look at that, the great thing is, man, I've, been, I've coached some guys that if they got off to the start, he is you would look at them and they would get sped up. They would be frustrated. They'd be trying to go get five hits every at bat. And he still runs off a very professional approach. His BP is outstanding. When you talk to him, there's no panic. There's no frustration. I'm sure he wishes he was off to a better start, but he understands that the beauty of him, and he's, again, as a sophomore, one of our captains, him, Sean Hine, and Chris Aileen are our three captains. And you know, the thing that is really awesome is the fact that he is extremely talented and he is all those things, but he cares about winning in the team way more than he cares about himself. And so he knows he's probably not as comfortable as he could be in the box, but he also knows with the runner at third base in less than two outs, he doesn't care about getting a hit. He'll he'll take his ground ball to shortstop and pick up that run because he knows that's what we need. And that's just such a mature approach from a from what is still a pretty young player. Um, and that's why you look at it and – 
all those numbers will work out in the end because just the way he's approaching it, he's not making it bigger than it is, and he's coming out every day um, with a really good attitude, playing really good defense at shortstop for us, and just doing whatever he he can do that day to help us win. And for a guy that I know has high expectations for himself as well, it's just such a mature way to, to handle what a lot of people could look at as you know, kind of a slow start. You know that your lineup has some depth when you can bat a guy with the resume like Maxwell Costas in the six hole, which you've done at times this year, um, because you've got other bats that can go, you know, higher up in the lineup. For one, it's been nice that Costas, for the most part, has stayed healthy, I would assume, uh, this year after some of his uh, injuries sure. last season. But, I mean, it does say a lot about your team that you can put a guy that can be as productive as him a little bit lower in the lineup and man, it just adds so much depth to your lineup. No doubt. I think, you know, you could argue the two most consistent hitters we've had this year are, are Max and Troy Schreffler who are hitting six, seven, you yeah. know, and, and I think that's, that's a tribute to those kids too, you know, because Maxwell has every accolade there is. He's been on all American. He's been a preseason all American. He's been on the player of the year list. He's been all those things. But it's not about him. He did, I could hit him ninth, and if he thought that was the best thing we needed to do for our team, he would take a ton of pride in it. Whereas a lot of egos get in the way there. He his doesn't, you know. And and you know he ended up hitting fourth for us this weekend. We kind of slid Shaw down just a little bit this weekend. But Max has just had a great year, and I think you know you look at last year where everybody you know they had his draft year, they had this, and you know Max opted out of the fall because of a lot of COVID stuff that was going around, so he wasn't with us in the fall. He was at home. He was training. But it's just different when you're not with the team, you know, and then he stepped in for the season, had the wrist injury right off the bat, got back, then he had the ankle injury. Um, and we didn't really get the the real Maxwell Casas until about the last month of the year, and he was outstanding. You know, this year, normal year, was with us all fall, kind of had everything trained, he stayed healthy, and, man, off to a heck of a start. And I think what what's great about him is he can really drive the baseball. I mean, I think he's got eight eight homers already. But he's also picking up big hits. He's cut down on his strikeouts. He's not too big to move a runner if he has to. He's just been very professional in his at bats, and and I think that's huge. You know, having him back in that spot, doing what he's capable of, really, like you said, extends that lineup. Talking to Rob Vaughn on the Big Baseball Podcast, the Maryland head baseball coach. Um, I you you guys have had consistency on the hill. I think that every weekend, right aside from one, you've had the same. Three starters. I know Nick Dean, you know, had a, a, a little bit of an arm issue that, that kept him out the one week sure. and, and came back onto the hill this last weekend. But not only have you had the same three guys, uh, you know, Dean Savakul and, and Ryan Ramsey, but I think the first weekend of the year, each one of those guys also pitched seven innings, which you don't yeah. always see right out of the gate. I mean, how how consistent have those guys been how much has it helped you that at the very start of the season you had you know clearly defined roles at least for some of your rotation I mean heck we're here in what we're here in late March and there are some teams in the Big Ten across the country that that have yet to figure that kind of thing out but you were able to start the season from day one with three guys and others in the bullpen with clearly defined roles and then for the most part aside from some changes I'm sure here or there you've been able to stick with those yeah, that's, and that's what's been huge, you know, and and I think, you know, Coach Mo, our new pitching coach we brought in from Coastal Carolina, is just he's seamlessly transitioned in, you know, and Coach Moose did a great job. Obviously, he's down at Wake Forest now, did a great job of kind of cultivating these guys and helping them develop, and Mo's done an outstanding job just stepping in. And, you know, I think the thing that's beautiful is not only their stuff was good opening weekend in the first couple weekends, but they were incredibly efficient, you yeah. know, and that's what's huge because – you know, there's not too many coaches in the country, us in particular, that are going to go run a starter out to 105 pitches opening weekend. You know, normally we're in that, you know, 75 to 90 pitch range is kind of where we want to be opening weekend. And the fact that those guys were able to get through seven innings against two dang good teams in Baylor and Campbell those first two weekends and be incredibly efficient was huge. And that's, you don't beat those teams on the road. You certainly don't go 6-0 and with those teams on the road without really consistent starts because, Shoot, the guy, the Friday guy from Campbell was about as good of an arm as I've seen this year. And the Friday night guy at Baylor, same thing, was outstanding. And if you're not matching those guys pitch for pitch, man, you don't have a chance come the later innings. So knowing that, you know, in the past year we've had 
we generally every school has a pretty solidified Friday guy. Most have a pretty solid Saturday guy, and then Sunday is usually a little bit of a revolving door as you're trying to figure it out. Um, you know, for us to be able to have those three guys going into the year, we knew exactly where they were going to be was huge. And and then you know we most of the kind of injuries we've honestly honestly had has been in the bullpen and. You know, fortunately, none of them were season-ending, and this weekend we got every one of them back. But a guy like Dave Falco, who is a power arm out of the pen that we we didn't have early, that has come back and has been really good his last two outings. You know, Sean Hine, like I talked about earlier, has been crazily consistent for us and huge. But, you know, just calling on some of those young arms, calling on a guy like Matt Orlando, who has been a position player his whole career here and kind of transitioned and spending more time on the mound now, that's pitching below a two ERA in a situation that when you had some of these other bigger high profile bullpen guys on the shelf, like we don't get through those games and are where we're at with some of those unsung heroes. And then some young guys like Ryan Van Buren, you know, Logan Ott just stepping up and, and being really productive um, has been huge because I man, you can hit all you want, but if you can't get people out and you can't pound the strike zone to play good defense, you're just, simply not going to win and I think that's what this crew has done a good job of is it's kind of been a next man up mentality in the bullpen and guys haven't tried to play Superman they've just gone up there and tried to do their job and fortunately for us they they've been pretty solid at it and kind of held the fort down while we were trying to get the reinforcements back and you know now that we have that that stable of guys back there you feel pretty good as as we're going up into you know conference weekend starting for us here in two weeks you like the fact that you're kind of back in a pretty good space and, and in a good spot, ready to, ready to go. Is, uh, is Dean going to be okay? Yeah, he's good. So he threw this weekend, yeah. um, didn't throw great Friday. Um, just Dean's a command guy. That's what I always laugh at our guys. I'm not a video game player, but I said, <laughs> Nick Dean is like playing MLB the show. You can throw any pitch and any count and they're all really good. And, <laughs> you know, when he's coming back from an injury or coming back, all he had, he had some forearm tightness. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it's his draft year. We wanted to be smart with him. We had everything get examined. MRI was perfectly clean. Everything looked great. So there was no arm issues to worry about. It was just some muscular tightness we had to right. work through. So gave him a week off, came back. But, you know, even leading up to this week, everything is as coaches. And when it's your, you know, your prized horse there, you're like, hey, take it easy on this. Don't throw too many change-ups. Don't spend too many breaking balls. Just be easy this week. And because of it, he just didn't have great feel on Friday. Right. You know, he didn't have good feel for his changeup. His his curveball and his cutter are two very distinct pitches, but they kind of morphed into the same thing last week just because he didn't spend enough time working through it. So this week's going to be good. Get him back on a normal rotation. Get him back in his normal midweek workflow, and and we're going to need him to come out and be really good as we go down to uh, Dallas Baptist this weekend. Yeah, one more out-of-conference weekend for you guys before you get started, as you said, uh, here in basically a week and a half. Um, you'll go into that conference season most likely as a favorite, if not the favorite. Are you guys okay with that? You know, you, you, don't, you, you don't really have a choice. <laughs> you know, it's, I'll tell you, um, my whole career, whether as a player or as a coach, has been spent as the guy kind of chasing people down, not the one with the target on your back. Mm -hmm. um, but I think – I think the importance of not worrying about who we're playing, not worrying about whether they have this guy or that guy, not looking at their record, not looking at any of that, and just going out and saying, can we be the best version of who we can be? The way we refer to that all the time is just really staying neutral, not getting too big, not getting too too low, You know whether things are going great for you or things are not, just really getting back to that neutral mindset of, you know, if we play our game and execute on the mound defensively, and at the plate, the way we're capable of doing, you know, we, we give ourselves a really good chance to win every time we step out on the baseball field. And nothing in this game is guaranteed, but I want us to continually, whether we just blew somebody out or whether we just got smoked ourselves, get back to neutral, get back, you know, to the facts. That's the way we refer to it. Learn from what we didn't do well and be better the next time. Learn from what we did do well and understand that has zero bearing on the next game unless we let it. That's kind of the the stuff we talk through all the time and our guys have been really good about being neutral and if we can stay in that mindset and not get emotional you know and I feel like we played one game on emotion this year and that was at East Carolina um yeah you know you go down there and it's it's a good crowd you're playing them <laughs> East Carolina's right. always kind of had our number and and so that's just really the mindset we if we can stay neutral 
10 men, target on our back, target on somebody else's back, it really doesn't matter. We just have to do a good job of going back to the facts, going back to who we are, and trying to be the best version of ourselves every day. And come May, if we do that, who knows? You know, hopefully we, we end this thing well and, and can continue playing consistent baseball and get a chance to play into June. You know, that's the goal every year is, you know, we want we want to be playing and hear our name called on Memorial Day weekend. So that's just going to take us being extremely mature as we go through this process. Hey, Rob, appreciate the time. As always, best of luck down there at uh, Dallas Baptist this weekend, and uh, we'll see you again, I'm sure, here later on in the season. Sounds great, man. I appreciate you guys. That's Maryland coach Rob Vaughn, his team uh, getting set to, to travel one more weekend before getting going in Big Ten play. We'll take a break. We'll come back with the weekend rotation. This is the Big Baseball Podcast. Patrick, let's hit the weekend rotation, the three things that we are looking at as we head into the weekend. Uh, topic number one, of those six teams that we agreed on uh, from the top, right, uh, Maryland, uh, Michigan, Rutgers, uh, Purdue, Iowa, and Michigan State, how many does the Big Ten get into the NCAA tournament? And if you're sitting here right now, who will they be? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I'm going to go with four teams just because that seems to be numbers that the Big Ten seems to work for the postseason. Uh, last year they got three teams. I mentioned, uh, you know, with the Big Ten playing in the bubble last season, it, it, that, that hurt them, that worked against them because you could throw RPI out the window. And we all know that the National Selection, Selection Committee still uses RPI as the primary metric to get in. But uh, – as of right now, I would say, uh, you know, Maryland for sure, Rutgers would get in, Michigan, and I'm going to go with Iowa as the yeah. four teams that I would have making the NCAA tournament. Um, pretty good representation there. I think Maryland is in the mix possibly to host. Uh, they would need to continue, obviously have a big weekend series uh, this play, need to do their business in the Big Ten, need to continue this, this run they're having, um, and just make sure whenever they do have a hiccup, it doesn't last very long because – as we all know, the Big Ten is under a little more stringent microscope when it comes to this type of stuff. But I think four teams is a realistic expectation. Yeah, I agree with you on those on those four teams. I mean, Iowa is the one that needs to pick up some victories. I mean, it, you know, it needs to win games. Um, Purdue is going to be a very interesting uh, study when we get into May. I mean, it has to get wins in late May against Maryland, against Michigan, maybe against Iowa and those those last few series to be able to boost up its RPI. The question is, you know, does it just have, it really would be nice if it had a signature win at a conference and it's just not going to be able to have that opportunity. So you could be looking at a Purdue team that finishes maybe third or fourth in the big 10 and and might not be able to get in because that RPI and that strength of schedule just might not be where it needs to be. It'll be interesting to see uh, what becomes of, of Purdue when we get uh, around that time. All right, let's hit topic number two. There are both conference games and non-conference games this weekend, so let's take a look at some of the things that we are watching for in terms of non-conference games this weekend. There are a couple of big series. Uh, Maryland is at Dallas Baptist, which I think will be a great series uh, down south, uh, sort of see where the Terps are before they start conference play. And Central Michigan is at Iowa. That should be another solid one as well. What are your thoughts? Yeah, those are the two for the non-conference that I'm, that I'm really looking at. I think, I think Maryland-Dallas Baptist – is one of the best matchups from a national perspective this entire weekend. Um, you know, there's that pesky, you know, Tennessee Ole Miss series that's happening this weekend, but look past that. And you got Maryland playing at Dallas Baptist. Dallas Baptist entered the year as a top 25 ranked team. Uh, they fell out, but they're currently surging back up. Um, definitely Maryland's going to have their handfuls with, with, with that, with that team this weekend. I think Central Michigan is an overlooked team. They're a regional. Uh, team from a year ago that eliminated both UConn and Michigan in the South Bend Regional. Um, I think that's something to watch at Iowa in Iowa City. Uh, it's a really good, really good program. Um, the offense is, is like relentless. They have some good pitching. Uh, so Central Michigan is a team, you know, from a Midwest perspective that you always have to keep an eye on. You can't count out, and Iowa is going to have their hands full there. Let's talk about a couple of the, the in-conference games, uh, series this weekend, eight teams total, four series 
I literally will be watching uh, Ohio State and Purdue since we'll be here in, in Alexander Field. I, I think. I mean, I'm still intrigued, you know, for obvious reasons uh, with Purdue, but but just for you know, sort of the big picture reasons too about these Boilermakers. And you know, if Purdue can take two of three from Ohio State, to me that it, it means a little bit more because then it gives you more data about what this Purdue team exactly is. So I think that is a a very intriguing series for me. Uh, both personally since I'll be there, but also just in the big picture of the Big Ten. Uh, what are you watching this weekend in conference? I think you make an excellent point about Purdue. You know, if this was any other Power 5 conference team, you know, Purdue might already be ranked by, by most most of the publications that rank teams. So they need to continue to pile up wins uh, to continue to, to garner that type of impression uh, the one series I'm really looking at is Michigan at Nebraska, yeah. and I think this is just a great Big Ten series to kick off the Big Ten slate. Uh, it has, you know, kind of like that football vibe to it, you know, where you have these two kind of traditional powerhouses that, uh, you know, as we've already talked about in the program, you know, Nebraska is not playing as well as we thought they were coming into the year, and Michigan doesn't have that pitching staff figured out as we've become accustomed to with that program. So it, it's a really good opportunity for both teams. You know, Nebraska, can they kind of, you know, get back on track? Can they kind of figure some stuff out and, and move forward with some success? Or can Michigan start to separate themselves? Yeah. They've had a very challenging schedule to this point, and it doesn't end this weekend. That's the weekend rotation. Hey, uh, Patrick, appreciate you jumping on. We'll see if we even invite Drew back next week. Uh, <laughs> maybe he can just, you know, hang out at Disney World or wherever he is. Uh, for a little bit longer. But I, I appreciate the knowledge and you uh, taking the time uh, to come on, and uh, we'll catch up with you again down the road. Yeah, I look forward to that. It's been a lot of fun, so thanks for having me on. That's Patrick Ebert, the Midwest analyst at D1Baseball.com. Also be sure to check out his site. He's the publisher at thegrindbaseball.com. All right, that'll do it for the podcast for this week. We thank Rob Vaughn, the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins, for coming on. Uh, We'll be back as we drop this every Tuesday mid-morning next week as we get into the heart of the Big Ten season. For Patrick Ebert, I'm Kyle Charters. Thanks for listening. This is the Big Baseball Podcast, a production of 1017 The Hammer. You're out!